we were just experimenting with a bunch of names. And then we said, what would happen if we were to go out and to acquire an existing brand? What would that bring to us? And we looked at, I don't know, 20 to 30 names and their businesses and their reputation and their advocacy for leisure travel. And travel and leisure just stuck out. Um, you know, probably anyone who listens to this, you know, half of them will have a travel and leisure magazine that they read. And it brings, it, there's probably not a better advocate for leisure travel than this name. And therefore we began the discussion literally um, in March of 2020. So right, it was, it was my last trip before COVID was a, our first discussion around the acquisition of travel and leisure specifically. Welcome to Orlando's Own, where every two weeks, Tim Giuliani brings on one of Orlando's business leaders to share their insights to building in Central Florida with you. Rarely do we ever get to see the behind the scenes of a $100 million acquisition, but this week, Tim brings on the mastermind behind the Wyndham Destination acquisition of travel and leisure. In this episode, you'll learn about where the idea of the acquisition came from, what it takes to lead a deal this large during a pandemic, and how Orlando has grown since Tim's guests first moved to Orlando in 1992. This is Orlando's own Michael Brown. So to set our context, Aladdin was just released. Jay Leno started that year on The Tonight Show. Uh, Shaq here in Orlando was taken number one in the NBA draft. So it was a big year for Orlando, but also, you know, big in that you, you making the move to Orlando. So take us back to 92, you moving to Orlando. Tell us what you see back then. Well, it seems like a lifetime ago, and I guess you could argue it was. Uh, I've been to a number of those magic games and remember watching Dennis Scott and Anthony Hardaway back in the 90s. It's uh bunch of great teams, but uh, Orlando was a different place. I, uh, when I first moved down here right after college, lived in a small little apartment on Vineland Road and used to drive way out to Winter Garden, um, which was way out at that point. Used to run on the full West Orange Trail, which was from 50 to Winter Garden. That's, it was five miles and now look at it today. And where I lived on Vineland Road, uh, that was the end of Orlando. Um, it, it didn't connect down to 27. And so a lot has changed. There's no question about it. Um, but I think more than anything in coming back, uh, this is the third time I've lived in Orlando. You come back today and it's, it's a city. It's a city that's gone beyond being a single industry city, being hospitality and tourism. To where it is today, and and I like to put Orlando in that category of those mid-sized cities like Austin, Nashville, Louisville, the real up-and-coming cities where people are are escaping to and finding new homes, both corporately and and personally. Yeah, well, t talk a little bit about about that because you know we worked with you on a corporate headquarters relocation to Orlando recently, and so from '92 to now. You know, a lot of companies have moved here. A lot of companies have expanded here. So why do you think, in your opinion, why should more companies be looking at Orlando? So, uh, you know, you can't answer that without stating the obvious is, is the, the environment is fantastic, both, both from a, a tax standpoint, sunshine standpoint, and really the standard of living. Um, and we've started to see a pretty big um, inflection here in the last five years on people moving out of the Northeast, the cold weather states, uh, down to the Sun Belt, and I, you know I think you'd agree some of our competitions, Texas, Arizona, Florida, but um, 
What we have noticeably seen as as the change in Orlando and why it's become a much more attractive corporate city is, is as I mentioned, it used to be purely hospitality and tourism. And now when you go throughout Florida, uh, throughout Central Florida, you see the corporate headquarters that are developed up on the north side of the city, Longwood, Lake Mary, that area, the innovation corridor out by UCF and and the medical facilities and and all that's being developed in in the great areas around Lake Nona. Um, But still, um, it's a city that thrives on hospitality and tourism. It's not just theme parks. It's it's everything. It's it's lodging and and the great part about all that is when I lived here the other two times, it was tough to convince people that Orlando was anything more than the theme parks. And now we're seeing now we're seeing talent professionals come to this market and uh, with young families or or you know kids that are in in secondary school saying. This is a great place to live, and um, and therefore, especially now, even on a post-COVID environment, the fact that uh, work can be a lot more mobile. Central Florida is just a really attractive place, not only from the diversification of its overall industry, but from attracting talent. Uh, people are seeing the the real bright spots that Florida has to offer, and and I could I could list off. 20, 30 people in our organization that have relocated here and have, have said, what a surprise this city is. Yeah, well, sp- just spend a minute. You know, when people do think, you know, hospitality in, in Orlando, and certainly we are the number one destination in the world and nothing nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, there's a lot of reasons people come here. But, you know, it's not just sort of housekeeping and front desk that we're talking about when we talk about hospitality. There's a lot of headquarters, uh, a lot of a lot of corporate offices. So talk a little bit about your experience of, of the growth of that sort of corporate headquarter, regional headquarter operations here in Orlando. Well, that, it's absolutely true. The truth is there's nothing wrong with being the world's vacation capital uh, or the vacation capital of the world. Um, it, it brings a lot of jobs and with it, the corporate headquarters. When you look at just our corporation, Travel and Leisure, um, we are, we're filled top to bottom. Our, our resorts are worldwide, but our headquarters in, are here, which means we're constantly in search of professionals. And those professionals range from legal, finance, and accounting, um, IT, which is which is uh, an area that uh, you know, we're working hard to attract to the region. And when you look at average income um, that or average salary for our associates, it's a lot higher than I think what most people perceive when they think hospitality or tourism. They they think a lot of hourly workers, but just in just in the vacation ownership industry alone, there are almost eight corporate headquarters within a five mile radius of where our corporate headquarters are, and they're each filled with uh, professional uh, professionals well beyond hospitality and tourism. As I mentioned, legal, finance, and accounting, human resources. Um, IT, et cetera. So that's just in hospitality and tourism. You get to these other diversified industries that are all around Orlando and the professional attraction to Orlando has really grown. Yeah. It's, it's really matured and it's nice for people to get a fresh take on something they think they, they already know. And so we, you know, we, you and I and others spend a lot of time talking about the other half of Orlando. They don't know that you don't well, see when you visit on a vacation. Well, that's so true. And, and as I mentioned, I've lived here three times and, and sometimes familiar, familiarity 
doesn't allow you that fresh perspective. And, and I'll just give you an example. We have a gentleman that joined us um, from from Chicago a few years ago, and his biggest reticence was was being in Florida, um, in Central Florida. And you know, four years later, um, really settled here, and, and he's and he's our best recruiter to bring talent that yeah. have that concern. So, as people are relocating here, the word is unquestionably getting out. Especially, especially you know, the idea we we joke that the ideal recruiting system. Uh, seasons from November to March when it's freezing up north yeah. um, and people come down to visit. Um, but there's a lot to offer in Orlando that that wasn't here when I first arrived in the 90s. Yeah. Now, now let's turn our attention a little bit about to the acquisition of travel and leisure. So everyone everyone loves hearing, you know, everyone reads the, the press release, everyone, you know, sees the ringing of the bell and that's really impressive. Um, Want to hear a little bit more of the the personal story and Tell us how the conversation got started. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, it didn't start with the acquisition of Travel Leisure. It, 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 act, it started with, believe it or not, uh, a mi- our mission statement. Our mission statement is to put the world on vacation. And we've always been a timeshare company. And uh, so our mission statement is not to put the timeshare world on vacation. It's to put the world, which means there's a broad leisure market, travel market out there that we never touched so we we had the vision two to three years ago to begin to reposition our company away from a single brand, which was Wyndham, Wyndham Destinations, and a single industry being timeshare. Our core competencies are around putting people on vacation, accommodation, um, a network of great resorts. So we wanted to get broader than that. And the way we wanted to do that was we wanted to indicate to the broader market, we we were more than a mono brand. We, we were going to become a multi-branded company, first of all. And, and then second of all, we wanted to be more than a single vertical being the timeshare industry, which is, which is about 10 million households in the U.S., knowing that leisure travels 100 million households. We just wanted to open our addressable market by, by about tenfold. So we just, candidly, we began with a, just a nondescript name, XYZ Vacations or, or Holidays. We, we, didn't, we were just experimenting with a bunch of names. And then we said, what would happen if we were to go out and to acquire a, an existing brand? What would that bring to us? And we looked at, I don't know, 20 to 30 names and their businesses and their reputation and their advocacy for leisure travel. And travel and leisure just stuck out. Um, you know, probably anyone who listens to this, you know, half of them will have a travel and leisure magazine that they read. And it brings, it, there's probably not a better advocate for leisure travel than this name. And therefore, we began the discussion literally um, in March of 2020. So right, it was, it was my last trip before COVID was a, our first discussion around the acquisition of travel and leisure specifically. Yeah, it's interesting what happens when you really start to live out your mission statement, and mm. um, it, 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 you know, on the surface, you know, people are surprised. Uh, mergers and acquisitions tend to appear; they come out of the blue, but often, and knowing you, it was a very methodical process of going through and evaluating what you wanted to become, and then how how you could go about getting there. So, take us back to that trip. Uh, March 2020, um, you're on the plane, you land Meredith Corporations in the Midwest. Yeah, Des Moines. Um, yeah. Des Moines. So you land in Des Moines. Um, tell us about those initial conversations. What were they like? 
So uh, they are based in Des Moines. They also, they also own People Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, a lot of a lot of great names. But actually, they're Travel and Leisure Magazines based in New York. So I actually flew up to Manhattan the first week of March of last year, and I was wiping. Honestly, I was wiping down the seats, and I was nervous. And I landed in New York, and and no, everyone was out to eat. It was made me really nervous. And if you think back at the time frame, you know. It wasn't two or three weeks later that uh, COVID really hit New York City. But you know, we, we sat down and and we just explained what we wanted to do, and um, that we've we felt that travel and leisure was the world's best content provider, objectively of leisure travel, and. Given that there was never a chance to fulfill those dreams other than just getting online and booking your own vacation, we said that we wanted to, to be the fulfillment of all of that great content through the development of travel and leisure subscription-based clubs. Think of a think of a next Netflix or a Costco or a Spotify or HelloFresh, that type of subscription-based business. And we didn't we didn't want to touch there as uh, um, publication arm. We wanted them to continue to generate great magazines with great content, even if it was a competitor of ours, because we thought that advocacy was very important. And once we got past that initial, we don't want to touch the magazine, we don't want to touch what Meredith Corporation does well. And by the way, we're willing to advertise in your magazine on the back end of this. We we had just a good business discussion. And I give the people from Meredith a ton of credit because they were wonderful to work with. They came into it with a win-win relationship. And we both sacrificed a a little bit of what we wanted throughout the ongoing six months. Keep in mind, we were negotiating all through COVID. And um, it became very apparent probably in the last three months that you had two really willing partners that want to work together. And that, and and it it was one of the best, most professional negotiations I've ever been part of. And and it, it that and that that doesn't come down to corporations; it comes down to culture and people. And and I and I really, in in fact, uh, in fact, um, two hours from now, I'm sitting down with the editor in chief of Travel and Leisure just to, for me to share what's going on in our business and and, and what we're seeing in leisure travel and her on macro leisure trends and, and, you know, just, uh, just to share, share, uh, ideas. Nice. Well, Todd, you know, you, certainly the, the people make the deal, but you've mentioned the brand a couple of times. And so you yeah. had Wyndham destinations. Now you make this acquisition, you become travel and leisure. Talk about the brand element of why the brand is so important and so powerful. Yeah. So, so f- first of all, um, Let's talk about where we were with Wyndham. Um, we we were the world's largest and most profitable timeshare company and timeshare exchange company, headquartered here in Orlando. Uh, amongst other highly successful, Marriott Vacations is here, Hilton Grand Vacations, Disney Vacation Club, Holiday Inn. We're all here doing those professional jobs we talked about earlier. Um, but we had a belief that we didn't, being a single brand limited our vision for the future, the horizon that we could grow our company and therefore limited our shareholders feeling of, of how much we could grow. And we wanted to open the door to conversations with other companies. 
And, and first of all, the travel and leisure name, I think most people would say is agnostic. You know, it doesn't have a lot of bad to it. It, it, it only has positive reflections of leisure travel. It, it is inspirational. And we wanted, uh, we felt that that brand would allow us to reset being a single brand to being giving us the capability to become a multi-branded company. Um, because, you know, I, since we made this acquisition, I've only run into people to say, I love that magazine. I, I just read this article. And that's what we want. And the, the net effect of that, Tim, is that companies throughout the leisure travel space are now starting to talk to us about what the possibilities of us joining forces, either in partnership or in M&A activity. And as a result of that, that the brand uh, inspiration, the brand credibility is now leading to brand and business opportunity for us in the future. And, you know, whatever we do, we're going to do it here in Orlando because that's where we're headquartered. But uh, um, so I think it's I think it's great not only for us, but also for the community that we're part of. Absolutely. I, I mean, it was a I'm sure it'll go down in, in the history of the company as one of the most, if not the single most impactful um, expansion of opportunity. And as you look to the future, you know, whether it's, you know, as, as companies are rebounding, particularly in hospitality and travel, as they're looking to rebound and really have a much stronger 2022 and maybe back in 2023, uh, talk a little bit about, about the near term future, but then, you know, longer term for this new travel and leisure company of what is the, what does the future look like? For you. Yeah, so, so it's a great question. So, so let, let's just real quickly on leisure travel. Leisure travel is coming back and it's coming back very, very quickly. And that it, Orlando is showing up as one of the best destinations for the summer and for the fall in relation to leisure travel. So I, I think we should all be super encouraged uh, by the speed of which it's returning. We were we were year on year down bookings like 35% the first week of January. And now we're ahead of last year, just uh, two and a half months later. And that is ahead of 2019 because uh, it's better to compare to 19 because that was a proper March as opposed so to. So you're ahead year. of 2019. Yeah, we're ahead of 2019 uh, bookings for the remainder of this year. So that's. Of, that's so the, the pent up demand is real. Oh, it's it's real and and candidly, if you would have, I I think if you would have had any any of the hospitality companies that are purely leisure on on this podcast, they would all say the same thing. Um, but but as it relates to the the TNL um, near future, um, we've already launched an online booking platform. You can look it up on booktnl.com. Um, we're also uh, later in in the next few months going to be launching our first subscription based travel club. Um, you know, we we've been we've been really speaking of, and it's one of the conversations we'll have later on today is we want to see what type of content will be coming into the travel and leisure publications this summer, mm -hmm. and then really tie exclusive special offers that, that relate directly back to the, the content that's in the, the publications, as well as creating a lot of value. So we will start to curate content that's exclusive and have, shows clear value from an economic standpoint. Um, and begin launching clubs. And the nice part about these subscription clubs, we will start broad with a general club, 
But I think as time goes on, we'll start to curate smaller, more, uh, well, more curated clubs towards specific audiences. And I'm really excited about that because the idea of customizing travel clubs, you know, Tim, I'm not sure how, how you like to vacation, but we'd love to get a club that specifically attracts a, a niche audience as opposed to just one broad subscription club. So that's that starts for us later this summer. And then as we begin to roll through our learnings and our beta test, uh, it should really become robust in 2022. Good. So, so very quickly, that the acquisitions turning into new opportunities, new offerings. Um, as we move into the, the following months, it's turning into um, additional opportunities, more targeted. Um, what do you think this does to the to the company over the next couple of years as you build out this portfolio based on this acquisition? What does that mean for Orlando? What does that mean for for the company? It beats it, it a lot, um, and, and what I mean by that it's it's multifaceted. You know, the the first and foremost is. The timeshare industry has always been viewed the public from a public public company standpoint as somewhat as a value based equity, and you know the objective here is to turn that value approach into a growth story. And um, and I don't know about you, but it's always fun to be part of something that's growing. You're you're part of a growing region, and that's exciting because it's growing, it's active, it's vibrant, and that's where we want our company to to go with with growth comes two things, uh, many things, but two, two things as it relates to our region. Number one is it's obviously professional growth uh, in the region. As we grow our headquarters, we grow employment. Uh, as we grow employment, that's, as I mentioned, a broad range of, of professional jobs and opportunities. And secondly is, and I think this is important, and I think it's especially important in the times we're living is it we're very committed to being engaged in this community. Um, we plan on rolling out a number of initiatives through the remainder of this year because, uh, you know, corporations have always been viewed as shareholder only. And I, and I, we like to say internally that we're about the shareholder and about the stakeholder. And those two things do not need to be mutually exclusive. Um, we think the benefits that we hopefully will have um, through success on the professional side, is going to turn into a lot of involvement in the local community uh, in a variety of different ways. And, um, you know, I, I think not only is it exciting for professionals to be part of a vibrant community, but it's also very important to be part of that community. And, and we, we talk a lot internally about not just being, you know, from our front door to our corporate front door, but, but, you know, leaving, uh, some sort of legacy, what that's going to be, we don't know in, in, in our community, but we definitely want to be part of that and, and not simply live in the city that our headquarters in, but, but really be part of it. And, and I think you're going to hear a lot of, a lot from us about that in, in 2021 and 2022. Well, it's a, it's an amazing story. And I feel like if we were trying to come up with a title, you know, the idea of, you know, switch, switching from value to growth you know, the way you put the the equity comparison and description really sums up what I hear of you, you're taking a, a great stable uh, company and turning it into one with new opportunities with a growth mindset that just leads to a dynamic environment of new ideas, new value creation, 
opportunities to expand um, to better serve the mission and better serve the customer. And we know you're very keen on on the stakeholders uh, here in the community. So that's that's the best of both worlds. And we loved hearing about your acquisition, moving to Orlando, what it looked like, what it looks like now, you know, why it's a place to grow a company like this. So any any closing words or parting thoughts? Yeah, I, I you know, I'll just come back to where you where you sort of closed is is this is a dynamic time for our corporation. There's no question about it. And and I'm not naive. You, you can have great ideas, you can have great acquisitions, but you need to go out and, and turn those into reality. And that's that's sort of 21 and 22. But what what is so exciting about this time for me is you know we've come off a, a, a tremendously hard year with COVID and with George Floyd's murder and and all the social unrest and and an election that you know uh, you know really tore people apart and um, you know with differing opinions and the uncertainty around the stimulus and the economic um, outcomes of 2021. Um, And despite all that, here we are in March of 2021, not a year from the start of all of that. And I, and I just can't tell you how enthusiastic I am about not only the dynamic nature of where we're going as a company, but, but, you know, I speak to you infrequently, but enough to know that there's so much going on in this region outside of hospitality and tourism that um, it's it's great to be part of a um, a good corporate story that I'm part of, but it's also great to be part of a good region where a lot is happening and and you get to be part of that. It's it's always great to have forward momentum, and I feel like we have forward momentum at Travel Leisure, and I definitely feel like Central Florida. Uh, has that going for it. And um, I guess keep the people coming and keep widening the highways, right? Yeah. And and alternative modes of transportation are next. And alternative uh, modes. That's yeah. absolutely and, right. And, and taking advantage of the new airport expansion, Brightline coming into the market. Yeah. So when you talk about being part of a, of a, of a growing community, you couldn't really think of a better spot than Orlando. So Mike, thanks for your, your leadership. Thanks for sharing the story with us. I've already noticed some, some competitors out there trying to make moves to keep up, um, which is always probably a, a compliment um, to you, but certainly setting the pace of growth, setting the pace of corporate citizenship here in Orlando. So thanks for your time and, and always being willing to willing to lend a hand when we need it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And as far as those competitors go, it's great to see everyone doing great. It's great for great for all of us. So thanks for the time, Tim, and uh, best of luck. Thank you for tuning into Orlando's Own. And in our goal of achieving broad-based prosperity, we're looking to turn this show into Orlando's biggest podcast. And the number one way that you can help us get there is by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review. We've just launched this show and our goal is to get to 25 reviews by the end of March. And these only take 30 seconds, but it helps others find our show. Make sure to come back in a couple of weeks because you won't want to miss who Tim talks to next on Orlando's Own. Orlando's Own is produced by the Orlando Economic Partnership a public, private, not-for-profit economic and community development organization that works to advance broad-based prosperity by strengthening Orlando's economy, amplifying Orlando's story, championing regional priorities, empowering community leaders, and building a brilliant region.